This is the MLW Radio Network. Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by SeatGeek. Stay tuned, and I'm going to tell you how you can get $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. We're just coming off episode number 50. Now, I don't know how we could, we count this. I mean, as far as if you are looking at it as uh, date-wise, we have surpassed a year since I started this podcast. If we're looking at uh, episodes, uh, this is going to be episode 51. So I guess the next episode would be 52 in 52 weeks. I don't know. But it has been uh, some ride. And it really has been a year. So it's uh, kind of incredible considering I didn't know I was going to talk about uh, the Phil One uh, podcast. And thank goodness uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was along with me for the first part of that ride. But uh, since then, we've done uh, 30 plus episodes now with, with several guests, some of the biggest names in professional wrestling and some of the not so uh, bigger names in the world of professional wrestling. And I have to tell you, I think that uh, some of those conversations were the absolute best, and we will keep bringing those to you. Uh, this is uh, you know, an episode we had uh, this past week was with Paul Roma. You knew him from uh, the WWF in those days. Uh, he was a superstar, also a member of the Young Stallions uh, tag team, along with Jim Powers. And, you know, uh, Jim is one of those classic examples in the WWF, somebody that just had all the tools uh, worked his uh, ass off to accomplish everything in his career. And it's just, uh, sometimes it's just how it plays out. Um, he had a tremendous career, but I'm sure, uh, you know, you wonder sometimes where he might have gone if things just uh, happened to go a different way. Uh, but really enjoyed the conversation with Paul. And uh, Paul, thanks so much for coming on Primetime. Uh, this week, we are going to bring you another great conversation uh, one with one of the most intense, uh, intense individuals to ever step into the ring who reached many peaks in the world of professional wrestling. And you know what? All along the way, he didn't give a damn. And you know what, folks? That attitude ended up bringing him a tremendous amount of success in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about when we get to my conversation with Sid Udy, uh, a.k.a. Sid Justice, Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid. Uh, he had a few other gimmicks along the way. Believe me, this is a talk uh, you do not want to miss. Uh, but first, um, last week I told you about the Primetime with Sean Mooney Super Superstar Autograph Giveaway. And, uh, you know, when I go on my travels, I've been able to collect all these, you know, pictures and other uh, items. And I love to give them away. And we had a great response to the Super Superstar Autograph Giveaway. And as I announced, uh, we would be giving uh, five autograph pictures to five winners from some of your favorite superstars from that uh, golden era, as we like to refer to it. All you had to do was subscribe to our YouTube channel. It was real easy. You can still do that today. All you need to do is go to primetimemooney.com. takes you right there, and you can subscribe. And then what we had everybody do was just let us know what your favorite episodes were. Uh, from or or one of the clips that's on the YouTube channel there and uh, just hashtag it PTSM and then put it out there you know, on Twitter or on Facebook, whatever uh, whatever you want to use. And like I said, we had uh, a lot of people get involved with it. 
uh, uh, coming up right after this conversation that we have today here on Primetime with Sean Mooney, uh, with Sid Udy, uh, w- I will announce those five winners. So uh, keep listening because uh, you could be among those five. And the deal is you get to pick the autograph. Uh, I put out the, the list there. I'll tell you again uh, uh, who those superstars are. And then you, you get to pick. You tell me uh, which one you want. I got a bunch. I got some great ones. Uh, Before we get there, uh, Father's Day is June 17th. Now, that is this Sunday. This episode uh, dropped on Wednesday. So if uh, you downloaded it right away, uh, even if you waited a day or so, you still have a few days to get it right for Dad. And uh, like I told you last week, remember, uh, I do a lot of research. I'm uh, I'm a newsman, uh, whatever you want to call me. I'm a news anchor. So I I actually did a story on Father's Day uh, as we were coming up on it. Uh, to find out, you know, what dads really want. And uh, it didn't take a lot of research to find out. Dads, you know, I'm a dad. I, I don't need more cologne. I don't need uh, a bad tie. People give me ties all the time because I wear them every day. You know, I'm like the rest of the dads out there. I want to spend time with my kids uh, for Father's Day or around that time. And, uh, you know, dad, dads want to uh, go out and do something like, for example, go to a live event. And I can help you there. How? With SeatGeek, right? You want Dad wants to go to a ball game or a concert or go see maybe your favorite comedian or something like that. Uh, you can do it with SeatGeek. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Uh, to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And all you have to do is go to your app store, whatever device you have, download that SeatGeek app, and you're just a few clicks away, a few taps away from getting great tickets. And don't miss your chance. This this could be the best Dad's Day ever. Uh, But just don't uh, take it from me. Take it from one of my loyal listeners who listened to me last week and did get it right. Dan McGinn sent this to me. Uh, and uh, here's here's the uh, the tweet he sent. It says, uh, thanks to at Primetime Mooney and at SeatGeek, my wife, my buddy, and I are going to see the Red Sox versus the Yankees this August. Thanks at Sean Mooney, who loved the podcast. So he got it right twice there. He got his uh, great tickets to go see the Red Sox, and he loves the podcast. So... I can do the same thing for you, because for all of my loyal listeners, uh, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you do is download the app, go through uh, you know, setting it up, and uh, when you check out there, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, and then enter the promo code PRIMETIME, that's PRIMETIME, uh, just that's the promo code, and you're going to get $20 off your first Seat Geek purchase. All right? So we've got Dad taken care of. Now let's get to Sid. And folks, buckle up. It was some ride. Hey, folks, you know, uh, working in the WWE uh, for those years back in the 80s and 90s, I was around some uh, very intimidating individuals, some massive men, uh, men who had an undenied presence whenever they stepped into a room. 
but I think when I look back at uh, who were the uh, among the top of the list of individuals who uh, certainly struck that pose whenever you saw them, and uh, one of those individuals, as I knew him, was Sid Justice. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I have to, if I was going to compare him to someone today who had this, and I'm not talking just about, uh, you know, the size, uh, you know, the, the, and, and the, the, the presence about them. It's just like they have this, this menacing trait that you just cannot deny it. If I were to compare him today to an individual, individual I would say it would be Brock Lesnar. And uh, I knew him as Sid Justice, but Sid, thank you so much for coming on Primetime with Sean Mooney. It's been a while. Well- well, thanks for having me, Sean. And uh, you, you sound uh, uh, much calmer than I remember the last time I think we chatted back in the WWF days. <laughs> but yeah, uh, if, I, if I remember, Sean, you did a um, um, please forgive me, my memory. Uh, you we you did a show. It wasn't like a wrestling show. It was more like a Johnny Carson type of deal. We sit down and talk with you. Well, you know, we did, we did a lot of things. I was, uh, you know, mostly I was, I was in the event center. I did all of the events, you know, the, uh, announced the events that uh, were coming up with all the, you know, many, many house shows you guys did, but it, right. mostly, mostly the backstage interviews with Gene. And, uh, but I think that you're, you're remembering is that, uh, there was a, a period of time that we, we did prime time and we yeah. did it, we did it, uh, in that style. We had a live audience. And uh, hosted it with Bobby, and I know you came in uh, a, a few times, so uh, that's probably one of the memories that you have. But you know, there's so many about that period of time, and uh, I, I hope that uh, when you look back, you look at, at those days very fondly because uh, many people remember that as the the greatest time in professional wrestling ever. No, I, I think that's easy to say, Sean. Um, that for sure was it, it's never been that great since. Yeah, uh, you know, of course. Uh, I think that first WrestleMania uh, with Hogan and uh, Andre, they've never captured that again. Right. Um, so you're right. That was really the, um, that's what drew me to come there on just a, um, um, just a handshake. Yeah. Uh, the contract said that they guaranteed me one show a year at $250, <laughs> which, you know, I, I passed up a very large contract at WCW just to take that. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was that's how great it was. Yeah. And I think you also knew uh, the great potential that you had once you did arrive in, in the WWF, as we referred to it back then. Of course, it's the WWE now. But, um, right. you know, Sid, I want to cover some ground here. But, uh, you know, when you when you look back on some of uh, your, your life, uh, really, there's not a whole lot uh, out there on what you did before you uh, entered the world of professional wrestling. I know you must have been a tremendous athlete. Can you give us, uh, you know, some of your uh, upbringing? Where I don't know where you grew up, and and uh, you know, what you were interested well, in those days. Sean, this is how it really happened. I was uh, brought up here in Arkansas. I was working on a farm, actually a farmer. And really? uh, you know, this is back in the days when farming was really good. I was studying uh, become a pilot. I was going to be a crop duster. This farm I worked for, the people had like over a hundred thousand acres. Um, they were a big, big farm. They were looking to get their own crop dusting. Um, during that period, um, farming got really bad. So the people who owned land, they had a lot of land like that. They had to make a decision. Do we keep borrowing on this or do we get out while we still have a lot of money? And this, the people I worked for decided to get out while they still had money. And so, uh, I really was, um, doing some construction. Uh, the Memphis had, uh, started, uh, 
was a franchise, the USFL Football League. We all remember that. Oh, and yeah. there was a team here in Memphis called the Memphis Showboats. Yeah. Well, I was um, I had tried out for that. It got cut at the last on the very last cut, and uh, I was uh, considering going to uh, a scholarship offer at Arkansas State to try to get a couple years experience with my belt. I hadn't played football since high school. I was in the gym. I met Randy Savage, who was working the territory, you know, the Memphis territory at the time. All the guys were in there. Hillbilly Gym, which was it, his name then was Harley Davidson. Yeah. Um, they had um, Lanny Poffa was there. Randy, uh, just a, the whole Memphis territory worked out pretty much the same gym I worked out. And so they started saying, uh, "Ma'am, have you ever thought about professional wrestling?" I said, "Man, I be honest with you, I haven't seen professional wrestling since I was." like in the fourth grade. And I remember yeah. the match. It was Jackie Fargo. He was bleeding so bad. And I was, <laughs> I was really in tears. I yeah. The guy was hurt. Yeah. Um, so I said, yeah, I'll try this. Uh, my wife was pregnant and I, they sounded like I could get into that, making money a little bit faster. And, and that's exactly how it happened. I oh. didn't have the, uh, I don't have the story like a lot of guys do. I, I never had the love for the business. Um, uh -huh. It was really uh, just to make money. Yeah, but as were you a uh, a gifted high school athlete? Did you just play football? I mean, you must. No, have. I played it all. I played really? baseball, yeah. b basketball, uh, football. That's something you know, Sean. I when I look back on it, I I really wish I'd had a chance. I think I I really was a really good baseball player, a pretty good football player too. I played. You know, I was a, a running back on offense and defensive end on the defense. Yeah. Um, if I would have grown into myself. I, those two sports I could have really excelled in. Now, the one we don't have in Arkansas, which is, you know, freestyle wrestling. Now, on offseason, we didn't really have any coaches to teach us that, but I also excelled in that as well. I would have really loved to have had a chance to have done something like that. So you, but uh, we, we know that uh, you, you have a love for softball, and uh, I'm sure that was born through through baseball. So was that right. your number one when you were a kid? And and when did you really start having that size? Uh, were you a late bloomer? Were you uh, a big yeah, kid early on? This thing is, Sean, you know, this generally happens to all tall people, it, you know, both my children too. And I told my oldest son, you know, he's a really great athlete. I said, Frank, you know, you're going to be a late bloomer, just like I wasn't. Yeah. And I'll never forget, you know, I was that skinny kid that couldn't jump. And yeah. then um, just hit, I hit, a, a, just I got to a point to where I just all of a sudden started dominating in everything. You know, I could dunk, I could, you know, outrun anybody. I could, and it wasn't, I was that big at the time. It's just, I was starting to put on a little uh, muscle. Uh -huh. And then I tell kids this all the time that have a tough time with sports. It's not any fun until you're winning. And once I started winning and dominating, it became a lot of fun. Yeah. And baseball, of course, was uh, my number one sport. And I'm not kidding. I literally would cry uh, if it got rained out. <laughs> it, it affected me that bad. And I'm not yeah. kidding. I cried every night. And we didn't have many rain outs. But if we did, it really, it, it really affected me. Because I did the whole nine yards. I didn't leave the house all day. I, Stayed out of the swimming pools. I didn't do anything to overexert myself. You know, this was little league through Babe Ruth. You know, right. And and in, and in this area too, I don't think I'm pretty sure I was the only switch hitter, the real only legitimate switch hitter in this area. Really? You know, I how did that come about? Were you just damn well? Just the thing or? is, you know, my first couple of years of baseball, I, I yeah. suffered. I was really terrible. Right. And so my coach said, just go home, pick up a baseball, and hit it. 
and you just keep doing that all day long. And that's what I did. Yeah. I just started picking it up and throwing it up, hitting it. And then I said, okay, let me try this way. Then I started doing it left-handed. And then it just worked into that. And Sean, this is the deal. is I don't have to pat myself on the back to you or nobody. Um, I'm the hardest worker that I ever met in my life. And anybody that ever travels with me, like Bob Holly or Carl Willett or Billy Gunn or any of these guys that worked out with me and traveled on the road, no one ever worked harder than me. I was in my, I was through with my first workout and back of my second breakfast when everybody else was just getting up and I was going to my second workout. And that's how I was as a kid too. Uh, I, I just, I thrived to be the best and I did everything it took to do that. So what was that, uh, born in you earlier? Or did you have somebody in your life who influenced you that way that, uh, you know, that? Sean, this is the thing is it's in my, it's in my genes. You know, my yeah. father was an overachiever. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the pilot. He's the one who taught me how to fly. Um, he was checked out in almost every different aircraft in the world you know, that he could you know that possibly you could be checked out in, you know, to fly. You can't just, you know, get a pilot's license and fly any plane. You have to be checked out and know every plane that you get in. Right. Um, and it was just in my, also in my aunt, my, I'll give you a quick story about my aunt. She was, she started the first AIDS clinic in the state of Florida. She was just a nurse practitioner. She did, she was a missionary uh-huh. and my grandparents got sick and she came home to take care of them. And she uh, got her job there at a clinic in Titusville, Florida, and said, you know, we got a bunch of AIDS patients, people with AIDS people, and we, we don't have a, uh, any way to help them. And they, mm-hmm. the, that clinic says, we're not going to help them. And her being a missionary said, well, I know what I'm going to do. So just luckily, I had just, I was making a little money at the time, gave her, you know, helped her get it started. Of course, and then she worked with all the, you know, the grants and stuff like that to get it started. It was called Comprehensive Healthcare. In Melbourne, Florida, US one, she started with just a small little office, and she just died just a couple of years, uh, three about three years ago. Um, before she died, Sean, that little office had become a whole city block. Wow! So I think everybody in my family are overachievers, huh. uh, and, and even today, even her being passed away, her clinic of all the clinics in the United States still has the highest mortality rate of all clinics. Huh. So. Um, she uh, that just runs in my family, Sean. Yeah, well, that's fantastic, and 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 that's what usually there is uh, something that well, you, like you said, it's in your DNA. But I guess also you you learn from example. Uh, well, you, this what also happens too, Sean. Yeah. For me, and I say this, and I got you know five or six, seven people I can point fingers to. Yeah. I've always was somehow in the right place, at the right time. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was a skinny little geek, just learning how to work out, I met this guy named Randy Pettigo. Uh, this guy was possibly the meanest person I ever met in my life. He, uh, he boxed <laughs> professionally. He knocked out Michael Greer with Michael Greer is from Memphis. He had won a silver medal that year in the Olympics. He played, uh, linebacker at Kentucky. That's SEC. That's about as good as it gets. So this is my introduction to weightlifting. You know, the meanest, biggest, strongest guy in the gym. And if yeah. he didn't like you, he beat you up. And, and I'm not joking. I mean, yeah. he really would. Yeah. And, uh, at one time he was banned from every gym. We were, only could work out the YMCA at one time. But, um, so again, now, now weightlifting. So he, he teaches me this. So now he's the one that helps me get into football. And then I'll, when, um, I get into the wrestling side of things, he's also there for me. He says, you know, cause I'm also, uh, you know, I boxed, uh, pretty much my whole life took karate. And, and, you know, when you do that fighting is sort of natural. Yeah. And so doing that and being young, I, I stayed in trouble a lot. Uh, so I got married, had a kid and Randy pulled me to the side. He said, you know, Sid, you run around a really rough group of people. You've got a wife, kid, and then you've got a chance to get into this wrestling. 
and this was continental making 40 bucks a night. He said, you've got to learn to be selfish with yourself and doing that. You'll be successful. And I listened to that every step of my fucking life from that day on. Wow. So it stayed with you. It stayed with me. And, I you know, and, and I'm still selfish today. <laughs> you know, I get up at 3.30 in the morning, Sean. This is no joke. Everybody knows that. I'm in the gym at a quarter to five. I'm home and I'm at work at seven, you know, quarter to seven on my tractor. You know, nobody's ahead of me, Sean, ever. And I can say that honestly. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, that you're still doing that uh, after. Well, oh, that, and that's, and Sean, that's, my, that's my gene pool. Uh, uh, if my aunt was alive, she'd still be doing it too. Um, uh, it's just, that's who we are. So you have this, this fateful meeting, which is, like you said, you just seem to be in the right place at the right time. And you, right. you uh, run into, uh, all these guys at the, at a gym, uh, I got a gym. Know. And then after that, I'll give you a real quick rundown. Then I go to continental, um, um, Robert Fuller for whatever reason likes me, uh, real nice to me. He, you know, he's the one that, uh, uh, he says, he told me this, he said, you ever read a kayfabe sheet? And I said, no, Robert. He said, well, it's a sheet of someone's writing. Uh, and the guy doesn't know anything about the business. And he's saying really bad things about you right now that aren't true. He said, trust me, one day <clears throat> you're going to be something in this business. And this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So he says, I don't want you to ever read one and which I'd never have. Really? So even though a lot of people will say Robert Fuller wasn't a smart guy, he was pretty smart because he booked some big, you know, pretty major territories. Yeah. And he drew some money. So I, my first introduction to, to wrestling. Now, really, my first introduction, and I, I don't want to get any further without saying this, was as Bruno Lauer. Um, yeah. We got put together by just by coincidence. Uh, Bob Polk was Ron Fuller's partner in, in a hockey uh, company. They owned mm -hmm. a couple of hockey teams, I think. He said, uh, met me at the gym. He says, and I just, for just a short time, uh, just, you know, independent stuff. Uh, I did a little short gig in uh, his Lord Humongous for uh, the Memphis Territory. And he said, down to Continental. And Sean, I'll be honest with you. I did not know that there was other wrestling organizations. And I said, uh, I don't know about <laughs> moving to Birmingham. And uh, so he says, well, uh, well, we're going to get you tagged up. We're going to get a guy manage your name uh, downtown Bruno. I met Bruno just in a brief, uh, about a six-week deal. What is somebody was supposed to have done a run in Memphis and pulled out of it. I don't know who it was, but they put me in that spot and I got that spot, but that was enough to get me started. Yeah. Uh, so Bob Polk, I mean, I meet Bob Polk in a gym called Fritz Riviera. So he says, we're going to bring you in. So I said, you know what? I'm, I don't want to have any other offers. So yeah, I'll take this. So I meet Bruno at a truck stop here in West Memphis and we follow each other down to Birmingham. Really the very next day we get there, we find a basement apartment and there's my career. Now, again, I was in the right place at the right time. Robert Fuller Lightning, the owner. It was a coincidence that the Fullers had sold the southern part of the territory to a guy named David Woods. He had been in World War II, and he'd been completely burned. Only had one eye. He run for governor of Alabama for a lot of times, but didn't get it. But he was multi-billionaire. He owned like 20 or maybe, I don't know, 20, 40 radio and television stations across the United States. So David Woods also is, I hate to say this, is a mark for me. Uh -huh. uh, you know, and so he, he really li likes me. So, yeah. you know, now I get a little bit of a guarantee, not much. Uh, I think it was four or $500 a week. So that was enough that I could really survive on. At, um, at this point, I mean, how, are, are you pretty good sized? Are you still, I mean, because I'm sure I'm, a lot of what they're I'm, I'm growing at, so at this point. I'm probably, you know, when you, I look back at those pictures, my first, 
you know, I, I looked a little smooth, but by the end of that first year, I was in good shape, you know. But they're probably um, looking at you, seeing the size of you and the potential that you right. could. Uh, so I'm sure that that, that had a lot to do with it. And and so how did the connection with uh, Tojo, Yamamoto? Well, Yama- Tojo, what it was, is real weird. Um, it was this promoter worked for a singer here in Memphis called Eddie Bond. He was a country singer. And he saw me at a Friday's. He said, Did you ever thought about professional wrestling? And I said, no, not really. I was still trying the football deal. He said, well, I know a guy named Guy Coffee who was a big deal at, at the time here. He goes, I want you to meet me at the Coliseum. So we go to the Coliseum, and they introduce me to the guy. And we're talking to him, and he's not really saying much. And um, so uh, long story short, Randy Savage and them see me there that night. They see me in the gym the next day, and they go, hey, man, get away from this guy, whoever, I can't remember the guy's name. He says, and, and, and we'll get you in. So, um, they got me introduced to Tojo who was, who was training. I, I'm guessing the talent that was coming through Memphis at the time at the place at now. All right. That's where they held wrestling sometimes twice a week, Thursdays and Saturdays, but mostly it was Saturday nights. That was their big show that night on Saturday. So, so, um, so Randy says that, uh, that, that he would get you connected as far as training, when is that how he got me introduced to tojo uh-huh okay and i didn't know randy any more than i knew the next guy in the gym <laughs> um and uh but really i'd say him and Hill, and uh you know hillbilly jim which was harley davidson uh who gave me some really great advice but they're the ones that sort of got me hooked up with this guy and uh, with tojo and and then the, the next thing you know i'm in wrestling school you know sunday mornings driving from memphis at leaving at three o'clock in the morning to get there at seven to start training. And so how, uh, that's how, how, brutal, yeah, how brutal was that training? Because, you know, we hear about uh, Hiro Matsuda no. and some of the guys. No. How, how tough was this? I'm going to tell you something. I'm gonna, <laughs> well, this is the deal with Sean. You know this. What wrestling schools were really made for is to uh, first just take your money. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. of all the people I was in wrestling school that year, I was the only one that ever made it. Um, that's, that's your percentage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, um, and what it is, it's so physically demanding. I never forget my first day time. We got done with the neck exercises and the, and the free squats. I literally could not walk, um, <laughs> to do the rest of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And then at the end, I told you I had this ritual where, you know, I got introduced to the kendo stick my very first day. And that's, we would get on our knees, our hands behind our back and he would hit us until we couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and, um, and me wanting to be. Try to be the tough guy. I I tried to take the most hits, wow. and that's uh, and what really Sean, what that really is 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 trying to get rid of the people who aren't going to make it, weed them out. Exactly, that's yeah. what it is. And if you've heard that, you've heard that the stories about you know Stu Hart and uh, yeah. Matt Suda and blah 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 blah, it's, and the power plan and all this. It's it's you know first to make money and then. And the ones that can't make it get their money and get them out of there. Yeah. Oh, they, they get stretched and they never come back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But how, how many how many times I saw that? Yeah. How many weeks does that go on before you get to a point uh, where you, you feel at least you're somewhat confident to step into a ring? Well, you know, to Sean, this is the thing is back then they didn't smarten you up. And I'll give you a, a really funny story. Uh, I was still in wrestling school. I'm sitting at home. I was living with my in-laws. I'll never forget this. 
Yeah. I get a phone call. It's Tojo. And he goes, hey, Sid, uh, you, you want to be at a show in Coliseum tonight? Uh, be in the, in the Fabulous One's uh, corner. I said, what? Yeah, of course. So I drop what I'm doing. I run over to the Coliseum. So I meet them there at the back door. And so they come over to me. I think it's Jerry Jarrett. And um, Tojo says, okay, now what we need you to do tonight is this. You're going to be in the corner with the Fabulous Ones. And they're going to go be wrestling the sheep herders. And you've got to realize, if you never met the sheep herders, they're scary-looking people. <laughs> Jonathan Boyd might be, at that time, one of the scariest human beings I've ever seen in my life, right? Uh-huh. So they're telling me, he said, this is the deal. If Jonathan Boyd gets out of his seat, your job is to put him back in his seat. <laughs> I'm going, hold on. Now, uh-huh. where's the part about this is a work and this is fake <laughs> and we're going to be friends afterwards? And they go, you get this? And I went, yeah, yes, sir, I get this, you know. So I literally I sit out, and, you know, outside the dressing room, which they didn't allow me in the dressing room. I sit out there for three hours standing there. And they'd come to me occasionally and go, you know your part? Uh, yeah. Uh, if he gets out of his seat, put him in his seat. He goes, yeah, that's it. And I'm going, oh, and? And they never tell me and, you know. Right. So I'm, I'm scared, uh, to tell you the truth, you know. So I go out there and I'm in the corner sitting down and uh, they, the match starts and Jonathan Boyd stands up. I go, okay, well, if I want to be in this business, this is what I got to do. So as soon as I stand up, he sits back down. I go, hold on a minute. Hmm. Maybe he's scared of me. I'm bigger <laughs> than he is. And so another spot comes up. He stands up. The crowd you know, is reacting and I stand up. And he sits back down. Long story short, they told him when he you do that, you sit back down. There's not going to be you know no contact. This kid isn't smart. Yeah. So that's how it went. All the psychology. Right now, that what was weird about it was the fabulous when brought. I think it was Bill Dundee was part of the uh, sheep herders at that moment. Yeah. Brought him over and said, "Give him a punch," and I did. <laughs> you know, a punch <laughs> to the head. You know, so. Uh, and that's something, you know, Memphis territory was emphasis about was, you know, lay it in, you know, uh, and things like that. So that's what happened. That was my first experience at the Mid-South Coliseum. Wow. And you, uh, that's, that's quite a start. Uh, and you were already uh, working ring psychology and didn't even know it. <laughs> didn't even know it. <laughs> so when did things really start happening? Uh, when you, you know, start working and, uh, and having uh, to try and figure this, this business out. And when did they finally smarten you up? Well, what happened was again, um, somebody or, um, Austin Idol was in a match against Jerry. This is my very first match. Okay. Yeah. Against Jerry Lawler, Nick Bockwinkle. And they had a mystery opponent. Now I was told that it was supposed to have been Terry Funk and something happened and he didn't show up. Uh-huh. And I don't know if that's true or not. Okay. To this day. Um, to this day. I don't know, but somebody <laughs> didn't show up. Okay. So Lawler sees me at a softball game and says, Hey, would you like to wrestle? I went, yeah. And so he said, come by my house. So I go by his house and he gives me the Lord humongous costume that he had made for a guy named Mike Stark, who did it only on off. He was a football coach and he right. only did it during the summers, you know? Yeah. So he off-season. says, here's the Lord humongous. We're going to make you Lord humongous. So I did, <clears throat> I did Memphis a couple times. I did the loop like it's it about a three, four week deal. 
But my very first match was me and Austin Idol against Nick Bockwinkle and Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. So again, there it is, my first match on main event. So I think that was a pretty cool way to start. Yeah, and you know, you're you're, you're uh, at a point coming in. Uh, it couldn't have uh, been the timing as far as uh, entering the business if you've got talent. Could not have been better. Right. We're talking, you know, what eighty-seven. You know, right. when all when everything's happening with the WWF, the you know, that's just well. This is really for WWF really hit their big stride, right? But and everybody else started, is doing well like too. Said, it, was, it was perfect. Yeah. So, uh, did it it help you move along in that uh, that point? I mean, you, you certainly had to pull it off in the ring, but it, it had to be a great time to have come. Well, in. this is the thing, is Sean. I was. Really, the first year, I was almost in limbo. Well, that character, Lord Humongous, there wasn't really a lot of psychology to that. So I really spent the first year just having short matches and and them protecting me where I couldn't do, you know, make bad decisions. And but I was, you know, being schooled by, you know, I was in the ring with maybe one of the best you could have ever started with. And that was Danny Nightmare, Danny Davis, who, in my opinion, is just a miniature Ricky Steamboat. I think I think he's that good, uh, especially in his day. He was just really, really good. Uh, so there it is again. I'm lucky. I'm in a territory who I'm I'm getting a push and don't even realize it. And then I get to work with a really great worker that makes me really look good. And again, that's what I, it just followed me my whole life. So is that a pretty good organization, the CCW? Uh, it was ten times better than the Memphis Territory. Really, was, and, uh, and there were a lot a of gr- yeah, but there was also a lot of uh, talent there that would become pretty big superstars. Well, in, this is the thing about it was once I got there, Dutch Mantel's there, one of the Sheep Herders is there, um, Tom Pritchard's there, Dirty White Boys there. I, I seen these guys in Memphis, and Mark that, then I realized how the business worked at that point. Uh-huh. You know you. You get a run here, then you go to Texas. You get a run there, you go to Portland. You get a run there, you go to Florida. You know, and then I'm realizing that how it works. You know, and then you get uh, you've got uh, it seems like a great place to learn, and they're protecting you. They're giving you a chance to take it all in. Uh, right. Then you get a chance to go to Japan too. Is uh, this is around that same time, right? What exactly what, about, you what know, happened this kid was is, um, <laughs> goes, I, I goes got over. I was. Um, I don't even how they came to me. They, they, the J- Japanese company, really, Eddie Gilbert came in and started booking Continental. And with him being such a great mind, and I guess it, he's the one that brought the Japanese people in because he was using a couple of the Japanese guys. And so when they come in, you know, these agents saw me and said, hey, man, we want to bring you to Japan, but we don't like Lord Humongous. So uh, the character, uh, I think they had used it before or something like that. And then they said, we're going to call you something else. Well, during that period, um, Eddie, uh, you know, goes to WCW and starts booking. All right. So then uh, Bob Armstrong comes in and starts taking the book and he actually gives me my notice. Now, before that, Robert Fuller had left Continental and he's booking Memphis. So Lord, I mean, Robert already called me and said, asked me if I wanted to come home. And I said, well, not right now. I'm still doing pretty good here, but if I get a need to, I will. And then sure enough, I guess Bob, um, um, what's his name? Um, Bob Armstrong must've heard of that. And so he came, brought me in. He goes, of course he wants to get his own kids over. 
And he says, hey, he said, uh, and I didn't realize I'm getting a notice. He said, uh, well, well, I heard you talk to Robert, and I think Robert could get you a job if you want to go back home. And I said, sure, I could do that. But now, I'll, I talked to David. David Woods came to me. The owner said, hey, he said, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. And I said, no, man, I, I want to go back home for a while. So then I came to Memphis, and that's when I started the seditious character because the Japan people did not want Lord Humongous. So there was a good opportunity to change characters. And uh, they brought me in and called me the Vicious Warrior. Now, you know how I got brought in there, Sean, is that because of the death of um, Bruiser Brody. Uh-huh. So they brought me in six weeks early and showed me nothing but tapes of Bruiser Brody and put me in the dojo beating these Japanese kids up. And they said, now, this is what we want you to do. You know, and then, I, you know, of course, I don't know if you know this now, but, you know, you could go through the fans and beat the fans up in Japan at that time. So <laughs> I was doing just like they told me to do. Wow. I mean, I was going through the audience, you know, beating the shit out of everybody. Yeah, you must have and, seemed uh, like Godzilla to these people. Exactly. I it was just like Godzilla. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, I was hurting myself kicking these people, you know. And now <laughs> here it is. I, I'm getting a push. You don't realize it either. I, this is the thing is, shot. I didn't. I've never been jealous of anyone, and I don't understand why anyone would ever be jealous of me. So I'm getting a push over there, I guess. I am. What it is, they, this is how they worked it. Uh, Anoki, had, the whole deal was it was a tour, six-week tour, whatever. He started first match, and I was main event every night. And he was working himself to work with me the last week in a main event. He figured he needed to work himself back up. So every night I'd work with somebody. I would take that guy and toss him over onto Anoki after I beat him. You know, so again, I don't realize I'm even getting a push. I'm just doing what I'm told. Um, so the last night I ended up uh, beating um, Ron, I knocked Ron Starr out in the bus. Now, I didn't, what it was, the last night they put me in a match with him, me in a tag match, and I'm doing what I've seen for four, you know, for I was over six weeks early. So for 12 weeks, I'm just doing what I've been seeing. So, and over there, nothing makes any sense. So he's in there working. I just come in the ring and start hitting people. You know, I was told to do that. So when we got in the bus, he said, hey, man, when um, uh, I'm in there, um, don't come in there and do that. I just said, hey, Ron, listen, I'll tell you we'll make it easy. If we're on a tour together, we won't be in a fucking match together. So he got up with a beer bottle, tried to hit me. Before he got up, I knocked him out between the seats. And that was the last night of that tour. Oh, uh-huh. uh, cause they didn't care. They, I think they fired him after that. Uh-huh. But, um, uh, so again, I don't, re- why he's mad at me is cause again, I'm taking their, you know, I'm not taking anybody's spot. I'm just getting a spot. I was also there they beat up Bob Orton and fired him too. Um, because he was upset that I was getting a push. So they but you're just to trying more. to learn the business at this point. Right? That's you're all just, I'm trying to do. I don't give a fuck about none of these guys. I don't <laughs> even just... know wrestling. I wasn't a wrestling fan. So they came to Bob Orton, true story, and said, we want you to put Matt Suda over tonight, Master, Master Saito. You know, right. He's their top, one of their top guys, right? You know who I'm talking about, Master Saito? Yeah, right. He's right. a legend. So they want him to put him over and say, we want you to put him over, I think, with the clothesline. And, and, you know, him and Ricky Chosha clothesline. So he says, no, you just tell him, I, I, just roll me up. And then, then they the, the little... Agent came over and said, no, um, good match. So uh, Bob goes out there and lays on his ass. When they get back to the back, they pulled him into the room and beat the shit out of him, and then they sent him home the next day. 
So I see all this my first tour. So I don't want to get you <laughs> guys education. mad at me. Yeah. I just want to do what I'm being told and keep my job. Yeah. You know, because you heard those stories. How they get you over and beat you up. You don't come home sometime, you know. Well, but they did beat him up, and then they, but they paid him as well. They didn't send him home without his money, but they didn't bring him back. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way business was done. Uh, that that that's the way it is. That way it was in Japan, Sean. Wow, what um, an education! You must have been. Uh, by the time you came back, we were probably pretty smartened up at that point. You know, Sean, this is a deal, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I don't even remember my first WrestleMania. I didn't realize it was WrestleMania. And I'm not kidding you. I never looked at a booking sheet. I didn't care who I was working with. I didn't care. It was a business to me. I didn't care if I won or lost. I just wanted to get paid. So it was a house show, basically. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just showing up, doing my... Yes, honestly. You know, I got, you know, after my first WrestleMania, someone said, you know, you were at main event in WrestleMania? I said, no, was I? And they said, yeah, and I remember the, uh, the Hoosier Dome, but I didn't really realize that was WrestleMania. I do remember doing the interviews for it, and because I had that southern accent, I guess I was saying wrestling mania or saying it the wrong way. And there was a big sign there that said, tell Sid, just say mania. Um, and, and what it was at that point, you know, Sean, Vince was really upset with me because I had already given my notice mm-hmm. to quit. Yeah. And the reason was is because on that situation, it was in that company, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, uh, you know, I left a, a big guaranteed contract to come into this place. And the, what the deal was, I was going to do TVs and pay-per-views for one year. And after WrestleMania, I was going to be the world champ. And I was going to f- start my first house show. Yeah. Well, he had the fire of the warrior at SummerSlam and all that shit changed. Yeah. You know, so from the very beginning, things just didn't go right. So we were in Albany, New York at Royal Rumble where um, uh, I think Hogan pulled me out from the outside or something and they started booing him. All right. When we get back to the dressing room, you know, Hogan is screaming and acting like a woman. And I go, hold on a minute. And he's screaming at Vince. You set this up. You made this happen. I, and I, I, I didn't know Vince was that bad of a person at the time you know, that did things like that. I thought that was just all hearsay. Um, cause I didn't care. You know, I really didn't care what they did. So I went to Vince's office. And I said, Vince, listen, man, uh, I stuck my hand out. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to thank you for the opportunity, but I'm gone. Uh, I cannot work in a place that grown men act like women. And uh, he said, no, 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 I'm not shaking your hand. I said, well, it's not going to do you any good. I'm leaving. He said, well, will you just stay till WrestleMania? And I said, okay, I'll stay to WrestleMania. And um, that's what I did. And I think I finished up a couple of days after WrestleMania. Yeah, and I, and I want to get into that uh, that whole uh, period with, with the WWF. And, and But you mentioned how it was pretty much always a, a business to you. It was, you were, uh, certainly everybody's in it to make money, but you understand that there are people that, uh, generations that, you know, come through the business, it's their, it's every every part of their life. And do you understand that, you know, that that was probably why you had a lot of heat along the way? Because well, you of know what? I don't think we them. never really discussed that. You know, um, no one asked me if I had a love for the business. We didn't, we never, that never was discussed. 
you know, um, I never said, no, I didn't sit there and go, Hey, I was a big wrestling fan or this or that. No, those conversations never happened my whole life. No. Um, now everybody, once I got to WCW and, and I got to WWS at that first run, everybody realized that this guy really doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care who he works with or, or, you know, he's just there to make money. Yeah. Okay, so let's just back up a little bit because I do. I want to get to the WWF and, and that whole experience. But uh, you traveled some a pretty interesting uh, path along the way before you got there. And, and I wanted to ask you about that, you know, the whole WCW experience because that's well, what really launched you, though. As far yes, as uh, and, and, and I would have never be where I'm at. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. If it wasn't for yeah. a guy named Eddie Gilbert. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Gilbert met me in Continental. He treated me like just treated me like his brother. There, um, he didn't have to. Um, I, he didn't owe me anything. And then, um, I was working for Memphis, you know, working my Japan thing. And what had happened was I didn't, I didn't even have a telephone. So, um, Eddie Gilbert, you know, is coming through Memphis with WCW. He sees a guy named Ken Wayne, who's now in jail for pedophile, uh, on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, so he tells Ken Wayne, Ken Wayne goes there to look for a job. He goes, no, I can't hire you. He said, but I'm looking for Sid. So I had a little bit of a guaranteed Memphis too. Right. So when I get to Saturday morning at TV to get my check, my check isn't right. So I said, uh, "Hey man, uh, what's wrong here?" They said, "Well, we just can't afford to uh, pay you that anymore." Well, they thought maybe I knew, but I didn't know, you know. And the Japanese company didn't want me to quit my job there because they wanted a place to come and take pictures of me. And I went, "Fuck!" I said, "No, this was a mistake, but I did it." I said, "You know what? If I don't get paid, fuck you." And I left. So right. I didn't have a job. And so about a week later, I go by my father-in-law's car lot. He said, man, some guy's been, I don't know how he got my father-in-law's phone number. He said, man, some guy named Eddie Gilbert's been calling you. I said, really? And I called him. And I said, hey, Eddie, it's Sid. He goes, man, I've been trying to get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. He said, how would you like a tryout with WCW? I went, God, yeah. Are you kidding me? And um, brought me in and gave me a job. And that was, I mean, that was big money at, at the time. I had to be a lot more than you'd made prior to that. I don't know what Japan. Man, I was you, making but... fifty bucks a night. And <laughs> I, I went from that to making a thousand dollars a night. Yeah. Wow! Wow! That is a uh, that was a big change. So uh, yeah, yeah. So he brings you and give you gives you a job. But was there? Well, this is also again. He didn't just give me a job. He created me, Sean. Um, he, he took his time. Eddie was one of the smartest guys I ever met in this business. Um, he put me with Danny Spivey for a reason. He said, we're going to put you with Danny Spivey. He says, tag teams don't draw money. He said, but you're going to draw money one day and we're going to get you groomed for this. So we're going to bring you in. We're going to call you the skyscrapers and we're going to put you with Danny and they're going to teach you how to work because with the Lord humongous character, I still hadn't really learned how any psychology. Yeah. You're just beating people up. Right. I was just beating people up. So again, now I'm working with Danny Spivey. And then, you know, I'm being tutored directly through Eddie Gilbert. And Eddie Gilbert has got a fine comb on me saying, you know, do this, do that. You know, and he's, he's holding my hand from every minute of the day. Even if he's not around me, he was holding my hand. Yeah. And, I mean, I really learned everything I know through Eddie Gilbert. Uh, that worked well, and it, that worked well until you you got hurt, and then. Uh, well, I had I had a lung uh, surgery, 
Yeah. And then now when I come back from lung surgery, I think they have had Eddie go. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember who was in charge then. Um, I really but don't. you feel at this point, said, I mean, you, you, did you feel like you had learned a great deal during that year? And uh, this is the thing is, uh, I know when after you know after the first six months with Eddie and WCW, I knew Sean that I was going to be where I was today. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know what you know about me, but I don't know as many people in this business that stayed on top as long as I did. Well, you're just looking you know, at your what, credentials. Uh, well, right. I mean, I was. I mean, after WCW, after that skyscraper thing, I was pretty much main event the rest of my life uh, with, with Vince and WCW when I came back and forth both times. Uh, and then, too, we all know the story. Me quitting Vince put me in a bind there. Um, when I went back the next time, I was on the whipping post. But this is what, again, I, I credit myself to this. You know, I said, you know what, I'm, I'll, I'll be on this whipping post for a little bit, but I'm good enough that they're going to have to use me one day. And after a year of beating me down, they, you know, I actually hurt my neck and, and I had to have surgery. So I took yeah. a year off. They called me back and said, hey, we need you to come back. And then, uh, again, it was they had to fire the warrior again. So I uh, came in. I said, why me, man? I said, I've been off TV for a whole year. And I had taken a job as an ag rep out of, out of uh, Fresno, California, a company called Custom Chemicides, which I was, I was a ag rep for the whole state of Mississippi and Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was making good money with him, but the deal was Vince, even though there wasn't guaranteed money at the time, he was still sending me because this is, you know, Sean, at one time in WWF, people didn't get paid for a month at a time. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, well, I also know that you, much of your income was based on a house show gate. That was pretty much how you. Well, made no, your this money, what, no, so. this is what I'm saying, Sean. You're not understanding. In, in WWF, you're, you were you you relied everything on house show gate. Yeah, but right. Even then, Sean, when you were gone, WWF could not pay the boys. How the boys got paid were they would go on the road and take a draw, and then they take that money home and put it into bank accounts where they could get back on the road the next tour. I never knew it got I mean, that you, bad. you might not get a check for three, four or five weeks at WWF at a time. So mm. when that happened, I told J.J. Dillon, I said, this is the deal. And they knew that I was serious. I said, if I don't get at least $1,000 a week, I'm not coming back on the road. Uh-huh. So they did that. So then when I took that time off of my neck thing, you know, payroll forgot. Someone didn't tell payroll to stop paying me. So for a year, they're sending me $1,000 a week. Now I've got a job. You know, making about the same. So I was living a really good lifestyle. So I'm sitting here, me and my wife go to this, um, it's called Balloon Fest in Greenville, Mississippi, where it's all farmers and stuff like that. And that's, again, here it is. It's great for me because I was a farmer one time. So I'm going back to my childhood stuff. Mm. So all of a sudden I get home that Saturday and the housekeeper says, man, some guy named Vince McMahon has called at least 50 times today. I went, oh my God. I'm thinking he, he figured he wants out his money he back. Said, he wants his money back. You know, I really thought that, right? Yeah. So I, I said, whatever it is, don't answer the phone. And so this is before caller ID, right? So mm-hmm. I'm talking to somebody and the phone beeps and I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't know what I was fucking thinking. So I hit it and it's Vince. He goes, Sid, Vince. I went, oh shit. Uh, yeah, Vince, how's it going, buddy? He goes, uh, well, listen, um, Look, uh, I've got a problem. I had to file the warrior again, and I need someone to take his place. And I think the first show was uh, 
shit, Detroit or something. Yeah. And or Baltimore, no, it's Baltimore. Uh, he said, I, got, I need somebody to take the place. I said, Vince, I haven't been on TV for a year. Can't you think of someone else? He goes, no, Sid, I need star power there. I'm thinking, well, you, I was on the whipping post before that. You know, yeah. surely you got somebody has more star power than me. He goes, no, I need you. And literally what I had to do is grab my stuff. They picked me up at the uh, airport and I got dressed on the way to the arena. Okay. I'm thinking, okay, this is it. I won't hear any more from him. So the next week, the same thing. Um, I, I need you again. So I, I think the next time is, is Detroit. And I remember because Butterbean was there. This is when he wasn't so fat. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, they know I'm, they're paying me. They're wanting their money back. So um, uh, my, now my company that I'm working for is saying, you're not going back to wrestling full time. I said, no way. No way I'm not going back to wrestling. Um, so just now they got a, 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 huh? I'm just filling in. Yeah, just filling in. So <laughs> and my, my boss in Fresno comes and rides with me to be sure that I'm not. I said, no, sir, Mr. Kimmer. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just doing this to help them out for a couple of shows. So now Vince talks me into doing their pay-per-view is in Vancouver. And, uh, it was me and, um, Davy boy and Ahmed Johnson against somebody. Anyway, the truth, this out went, they pull me into the Vince's office. Vince says, Hey man, um, I need you to come back full time. And I said, Vince, I'm not coming back full time. He said, how come? I said, well, and I told him the truth. I said, uh, he didn't know he was paying me a thousand dollars. I said, uh, I thank you for the thousand dollars. Um, of course he didn't even know it. Yeah. Uh, I said, but, um, I've got a really great job. Um, my family's really happy. I said, you do not give guaranteed money. You don't like me. Uh, he doesn't. And I said, uh, I'm going to say the wrong thing to you, which I always do. And you're going to put me in a dress. And I'm not going to be making. I'm not going to be able to make any money. I said, but now if you give guaranteed money, I can wear a dress every night and be happy with it. Mm-hmm. He, he said, Are "You holding me up?" I said, "No, I'm not holding you up. I'm just telling you what I need to come back." Mm-hmm. So he said, "Well, let's do this. We'll, we'll give you a guarantee, but we'll pay you night to night, and at the end of that year, whatever we don't pay you, we'll make up." I said, "No, that's not a guarantee." Uh-huh. I said, "I'm not interested." And I started to walk out. He goes, "Oh, hold on, hold on. We'll do it." So I was the first one ever to get guaranteed money. And I was the the most hated. So Sean, if that doesn't say that definitely define me as maybe one of the greatest talents in this business, because when Vince hates you, he hates you, right? Oh yeah. Okay. He hates me without a doubt because I left him after WrestleMania. So for him to come back to me and give me guaranteed money, has to say that I'm one of the most powerful people in this business at that moment. Well, and also, you said you were one of the first that ever got guaranteed money. I mean, Vince knew uh, maybe at that point that the gate was going to break at some point, but they right. he held out for that. Nobody uh, was, was getting guaranteed money, and for you to have uh, been able to do that, because, like you said, you were willing to walk away and – Go on with your life. Well, so, I didn't want to come back, uh, Sean. I had uh, you know, a really good job. Me and my family were really happy. Um, my wife you know, makes great money. So, uh, again, um, uh, it wasn't great money. He gave me a $100,000 signing bonus, and gave, I got $400,000 a year. So it wasn't like I was making you know, the best money in the world, but it was good money. 
Oh, and I had yeah. that for the next four years or something like that. Yeah. All right. So that's how that went. And then, um, and then I went back to work. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I want to talk about the, the, how that first, uh, trip to the WW, uh, WWF at the time happened because, uh, you were still you're with WCW. Were there back right. channels that reached out to you? How did that, I'm always uh, fascinated by how right, that, this is how this exactly happened. And if, if I'm lying, I'm, I, I don't, I never lie, Sean, because I think it's stupid to lie and I have no reason to lie. This is what happened. I'm in WCW. Dusty Rhodes has been told he's going to be the new booker. He's leaving WWF and coming back to WCW. Now, he sends in Magnum TA to take over for him so he can get, get there, right? So Magnum comes to me and says, you're going to be Dusty's man, okay? So, I mean, they're pushing me really big at this point in WCW. Yeah. All right, so um, Dusty comes in for this first our first face-to-face meeting. He says, listen, I want you to go to Jim Hurd, and I want them to sign you to a new contract, and I want you here. He says, you're going to be everything you know, and Dusty's way of saying things, which was really cool. Uh, and this was maybe one of the greatest moments of my life to hear that someone cared that much about me. Um, he said, uh, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You're going to be everything, Sid. And he said, now you just go to them and you, you sign a contract that I know you're going to be here. Now, at the time, I'm only making 250000 a year. And, uh, but that's good money because nobody else is making that money there. You know, just a couple people. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we come to agreement. I think it was, um, they offered me 500,000 and this wow. was a long time ago. So that yeah, was a that's money. a lot of money then. So I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> now I, I, I go home and I'm talking to my wife. And now when they opened up this door, they offered, offered, opened a door that I could call Vince. So, you know, I said, you know what? I want Hogan's spot. And I think I can take that. So I'm going to call Vince McMahon. And Sabrina said, no, no, no. I said, no, I'm going to try this. So I called, you know, Titan's office. And they said, who is this? I said, my name is Sid Vicious. I want to talk to Vince McMahon. And I'm not bullshitting you. In, 30, in three seconds, he was on the phone. Sid Vicious? Yeah, Vince McMahon. And within 45 minutes, I was left my house. I was on a jet, and I was in his office <laughs> within that afternoon. All right, he says, he sits down and says, well, Sid, we don't give guaranteed money, but here's the magic wand. You tell me what you want. I said, I want Hogan's spot. He said, it's yours. And um, I said, okay, well, let me go home, talk to my wife about it, and I'll get back with you. All right, so as I get so back wait, home wait, the wait, same wait, day. Said, when he said, it's yours, uh, what was the rest of that conversation? Uh, well, he said, he said, I said, well, what kind of money can we talk about? He, he made some examples what merchandising did and what WrestleMania would bring and things like that. So, you know, what he said WrestleMania would bring was going to, off, was going to be the same that I was going to make in a year at WCW. Mm-hmm. He suggested that, right? He didn't say for sure. All right. He said what Hogan had made. So uh, I go home and he didn't, of course, it's nothing guaranteed. The contract says, I guarantee you one day of work for a year at two hundred and fifty dollars. So time I get home now, Sean, WCW's caught wind of this somehow. And Mm -hmm. so now they've offered me seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So my wife. Yeah, guaranteed. 
and this is the first time ever. So I said, you know what? Fuck Vince McMahon. I'm going to sign that tomorrow morning. So I leave. This is a, this is probably the biggest mistake in my life. All right, I'm leaving. The phone rings. My wife answered the phone. She says, Vince, I said, tell him I'm gone. She said, I already told him you're here. So I get on the phone. He said, Vince. I said, Vince. I said, yeah. I said, look, Vince, I, are you going on your way to sign that contract? I said, yes, I am. And I said, I didn't want to call you back and put you in the, in the middle and, and try to play the middle game because I didn't think that was fair. So I, I just said, you know, Mr. McMahon, this is more money than I could ever dream of, and I'm going to sign the deal. Exact words to me. He says, Sid, you'll never get this opportunity again. Hmm. So on the way from there to, to the – to the towers, CNN towers, I made my mind up to fucking take that chance. And it was a, it was a big mistake. Uh, Uh, I never made that kind of money there. I made 150,000 for WrestleMania. I made good money. I didn't make, I don't think I made 750. Um, but it still, it was a a big mistake. Um, and my, when I look back on it, that was the only real mistake I made in the business. When Vince said that you were going to take, he was, you know, Hogan spots yours. How did he mention how that was going to happen? He just or just said we will work. Well, that he, out. I just told you before we, you asked me this. He said this is what we're going to do with you. We're going to just you're just going to do TVs and pay per views for one year, no house shows. Mm-hmm. And after WrestleMania, you're going to start your first house show. He said we've never done this with anyone. So I'm thinking, well, how in the fuck am I going to get paid for one year if you don't give me money? Mm-hmm. He said, well, we're going to take care of you. I said, oh, shit, you know. So that was a, you know, a big chance I took. But what happened What happened was the Ultimate Warriors started demanding more money, and then they fired him at SummerSlam, and it was set up. Right as soon as he walked through the curtains, they fired him, and then this is their idea. Of, this was their version of Hogan passing the torch. He did the pose down with me, which is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my fucking life <laughs> that that was the big goddamn deal uh, and if you think that's a big deal you're as stupid as the rest of them uh, so anyway uh, that's how it happened yeah. so i was pissed from that moment on and i didn't want to be there anymore and but that so, really yeah but so do you look i mean you, you say that that was a big mistake that you didn't take that that big money with wcw but uh do you do you think that if you hadn't taken that chance and stepped on that stage in the wwf that uh, would that have been something you might have regretted later? Because you, I mean, you can look at it and say it was a big mistake, but look what you accomplished there. Well, no, it was you know? no. As far as my my personal accomplishments, it was it was the best decision. Right, you're saying money wise. Well, no, not money wise. Vince was the worst payoff guy in the business. Um, but as far as I got to draw money, I got to see buildings filled up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was you know, the big part of that, you know, so that on that side of it. And then now, Sean, I did learn the business at this point mm-hmm. being a WWF. You know, the two companies are totally different. You know, WCW was like a working for, you know, for Ted Turner. It was like a business mm-hmm. and, and Vince's, you know, WWF was one step from the carnivals. Uh, you know that as well as I know, right? Yeah. I mean, you, that's the business. Wanted, that's the nature of the business. It's been that way since the beginning of, you know. Well, no, if, but you didn't work for WCW, right? No, never. It was like a real business, Sean, where there were no drugs. There was no fucking weird shit going on. 
it was uh you did your job you went home and and your family meant you know they they cared about your family and it was a total different world mm-hmm. and i and i told vince in albany new york i said man i'm just not ready for this uh i'm just a dumb old country boy and this doesn't any of this doesn't make sense to me right now yeah. and i had to get out of there and that's what i did well, I think the WCW was was a different experience for different people. Uh, I, the way you explained it was a, it was a very good experience for you. Uh, uh, but getting back to your time in the WWF and was what was your relationship like with with Terry with with uh, with Hogan? You know, face to face, he was always great to me. Um, yeah. I don't know if he said or did things behind my back. I don't know that, but he was always. From the very first day to the last time I saw him, the guy was always really good to me. Now, uh, but when you refer like to the, I mean, I think a classic example is that 91 Royal Rumble you, you, you talked about where, you know, you go in, you say the finish, and that was never, I mean, I, I obviously you knew what was going to go on at the end there. But when, uh, you know, you end up in the ring uh, and, and Hulk, you know, you said you actually – there was a bigger pop when for you when that happened. Did you remember at that time when you were in the arena going, "Wow, uh, this is that's kind of crazy." This is the thing, is Sean at that that in that particular oh, what do you call era no, at that particular month or that year of the business. Yeah. You know, you know, Sean, you know this business. Hogan was already on his on the downhill skid. He wasn't getting cheered. You know that that Three Stooges comeback wasn't working anymore mm-hmm. you know that was his comeback right well i yeah i know what you're saying with the yeah coming back with no the, he copied that from curly off the three stooges <laughs> you're not aware of that yeah. no i i never had it presented to me that way but <laughs> well he he presented that to me like that uh, i'll never forget i thought okay i've got to have a heel match and get blah 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 he goes no brother this is gonna be easy he said you just beat me up a little bit he said, all of a sudden, I'll start doing the shake, and I'll slap my face down a couple times like Curly does. You go throw a punch, I'll block it, you hit me, I'll hit you, do that a couple times, blah, 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 blah. And that's, all, that's how easy it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't make for great matches, but it, it worked for him. So when you're doing that kind of match after that long of a time, people are going to shit on that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to get tired of it. So... And then in the business, you know, Sean, too, it's not that I was any better than Hogan. It's he'd had his run, and they needed someone new. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Vince, that's why he said, Go, you got Hogan's spot. So when, you know? when yeah, so the overall, and you you talk about WCW, WCW very fondly. Uh, are you uh, really uh, bitter about that experience with the WWF, WWE, or do you take what was good out of it? And, and no, I, I'm that? not bitter at all. Huh. Uh, I'm glad I did that, Sean, because I, I like testing my balls once in a while. And I think that much <laughs> of myself. I think yeah. I'm just that much better than everybody else. That I weathered that storm as well as anybody could have weathered that. But this is what pisses me off. Things like this uh, on Ric Flair's documentary on ESPN. He talked, and Hogan said and agreed with him. This is what makes me mad. He said, now, what it was, they put me and Flair in some house shows against Piper and Hogan. And why did they do that, Sean? You know this, to, to sell tickets before WrestleMania because there was only four pay-per-views that, in the year at that moment. You remember that? Oh, yeah. So in between those four months, they, they'd run house shows. They wouldn't put me in a singles with Hogan, but they'd put me in tags. 
just to sell out the arenas, right? Yeah. Well, and build that storyline. Right, build the storyline. Yeah. Never, and you know this too, WWF knows what the main event in WrestleMania is a year before, right? Yes. For the most part. They did back then. Yeah, back then. Now it's every two weeks. Things are <laughs> it's every two weeks. All right. Yeah. Back then, they knew that I was yeah. going to be main event. So yeah. for Flair to get on ESPN and say that the reason he didn't get main event is because the matches, he got watered down working with Hogan. I was the one working with Hogan. He was just a fucking pawn in that game. Oh. I mean, does that make sense to you? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, I... I certainly wasn't in any of any position to understand how the booking went back then. I, I just knew that, you know, well, they, they did they not ever have him, you know, they ever had him, and you know, the word penciled in, he never was penciled in main event. I was the main event because I'd given my notice for WrestleMania. Yeah. You know, they weren't going to put, you know, Flair, Flair couldn't sell that out, you know, but that's how that happened. So, uh, again, you know, it's just the, the lies. What I hate, I hate liars. I hate liars. But, um, but again, that's how that worked out. Um, and then I got out of there, went back to WCW, ended up coming back to Vince, and then took that time off because of my neck, and went back to him as a psycho Sid. And then from there, I went back to WCW. Yeah. When and I went back uh, to WCW is when I made money. Yeah, well, a lot of people made a lot of money during that uh, period of time, and and uh, uh, when you when you look back at those, uh, you know, some of those house shows, and you mentioned this going to these places, and where there were you know thousands and thousands of people, um, did you really get get the chance to enjoy that and really? Uh, yes, because that was here you are, this guy most, from Arkansas, who that was probably <laughs> the most fulfilling time in my life in the business even though when i worked for wcw i literally made let's see i was almost at 1.8 million and i was only making you know for vince 400,000 a year so making one-fourth the money the the fulfillment was great now i went back to wcw it was sort of a, a downer at first because you know they couldn't put 10,000 they couldn't even put 2,000 people in an arena you know, so that after learning that I could do that uh, with the right machine behind me, and that Vince liked to use that word machine, yeah, uh, that that was disappointing uh, to get the money but not get the results. So, what do you think uh, that period of time? Uh, you said you were bouncing back before between both those those uh, you know behemoth organizations, really the the two elite organizations. What do you think that period of time, how did that change the, the business and, and, the, and even to this day from all that was going on at that point? And we're talking, we're talking like, you know, the mid, you know, 90s into the, mm -hmm. you know. Till today. Yeah. You know, Sean, I really, I don't know. Um, why, are, you, you, are you asking me why they changed? It changed no, I'm now. just saying that you were a part, you were in a, and I, I can't imagine anybody realized it at the time. I mean, it was just doing business and making money and, you know, doing what you guys did in the ring. But when you look back at that period of time, there's, uh, it changed the world of professional wrestling forever. And, oh, and, for sure. and the competition between the two, uh, was in the end, really, really good for the business. Oh, yes. Now, you know, Eric Bischoff and 
I told people this. I saw it happen to Memphis in the Smoky Mountain. You know, what happened, Sean, and there, they pretended to have, you know, WCW pretended that the, the WWF was coming in and taking over by using, first it started with the London Blaze and it went for Lex Luger and then it went from Kevin Nash to Scott Hall or Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. When you do that, Sean, it's real simple. When you pretend another, or like, and I saw it happen firsthand in Memphis and Smoky Mountain. When they did that in-house feud, both territories shut down after that. Because mm-hmm. what happens, Sean, is this simple. When you do, when you bring a, one territory into another existing territory, it turns everybody in that territory a baby face because as a fan of the Memphis fan, you want to see the Memphis people win. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when both territories go back to their existing territories, you're left with nothing but baby faces. And the business in those days were dominantly drew money because of the heels. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. when I said this, and that's exactly what happened. When WCW got done with that run, Vince and them were able to withstand that, and that's what killed WCW. Yeah. And that's pretty much, uh, you say in the end, that's way, the way you look at it is, is that was the downfall. That was the downfall, Sean. Yeah. It, it wasn't maybe, that was the downfall. That was it. And when you, you know, they tried to bring in, you know, every guy that afterwards, they, it just got harder and harder and harder. And then, you know, Vince is, is if anything, he is, you know, uh, uh, maybe the smartest guy for the wrestling business. You know, uh, he may, he's also, I think, could be, considered the stupidest guy in the wrestling business because he'd done some really stupid things, but he also was lucky at the right time too. And that time when I came back as a uh, cycle Sid the second time, that's when the business kicked back in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm taking credit for it, but before I got there, you know, I knew people were quitting cause they weren't getting paid. And when I got back there, they're giving me guaranteed money cause they're selling out again. And what it was, they took me off that whipping post, and they let me be who I was. So, Sid, through it all, uh, what allowed you to never, ever waver on uh, just living who you were and not compromising no matter what? Uh, what was it inside you? I mean, just that, that confidence? This is the deal, or, Sean. I'm writing uh, a book about it. I want to talk about that book in just a second. Okay. You know, my, my great-grandfather, and this is a true story, goes to my grandfather, real you know, just quiet people, uh, down to earth, you know, farmers that sharecropped yeah. and lived a tough life, N- never got, you know, I was a farmer and my feet never left the ground. I never thought I was Sid Vicious. I never thought I was Sid Justice. I never thought I was Psycho Sid or Lord Humongous. I was Sidney Udy. Okay. Yeah. And I was very proud of my family. Um, um, so that's what kept me where I was. And then I really believe, Sean, and I think I proved it, that if I worked hard enough, no matter what circumstances was, I would weather the storm. Now, we know the storm in WCW started with the deal with Arn, right? Yeah. Okay. You're now, this is how that went. Right. So what happened there was I just got a new contract. But they found out that I was in WCW this whole time, and they never signed me to one. All right, Ole had gotten fired, and Eric had taken over. And Eric says, hey, man, we don't have you on a contract. I said, I know that. He said, well, they wanted to sign me for 300 I said, no, I'm not going for that. I want the 500 which I was promised. Mm-hmm. So he gave that to me. Well, 
the next week we go overseas for the first time. I think that's the first time WCW goes overseas. The fight happens. We come back from the fight and now we get brought in the office. I do. And they go, okay, you can keep your job, but you're going to go back to the 350 instead of the 500. And I said, no, I'll get the 500 or I'll fucking quit. Yeah. No one, I'd left Vince on bad terms, but I still believed in myself enough that Vince needed someone like me and he would, you know, use me. Eventually, now, reluctantly, yeah. he did. He <laughs> called me in. I was working for Memphis and he had me fly in to, uh, to the office here in Stanford. He told me exactly what he wanted me to do. And I told him exactly what I had to have to do it. And that's how we come to terms. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's how I came back as Psycho Sid. Of course, we know the reason they called me Psycho Sid, right? <laughs> Are you laughing, Sean? Huh? Did you just laugh, Sean? I, no, I said I love this story. All right. The story is I didn't even know what Psycho Sid was about. And mm-hmm. even the music, because again, Sean, I don't fucking care. So when I come back, making Georgia, and no shit, they didn't have maybe 100 people in the audience that night, WWF. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what the fuck is going on here? You know, now I realize why they were willing to bring me back. They were on their fucking ass, uh, big time. And then mm-hmm. again, people didn't get paid for a month at a time. And that's where I said, okay, I got this job. I'll make the best of it. I think I made about a little over 300 grand that year. Not great, but enough to, you know, pay the bills. Yeah. So, um, and then after, uh, I hurt my neck, I was having some serious paralysis on the left side. And that's when I took the year off and took the ag job. Yeah. But this is what happens. All right. So I quit, you know, after, um, I have a car wreck in, in Ottawa and I'm, I'm paralyzed on the left side of my body. So now I'm on guaranteed money, but Vince lets me go because I can't, you know, I can't make the shows. So I broke my neck. Right. Well, all right, so now I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm out of a job again. So I just start doing independence, and then Paul Lee calls me, coming to ECW. Now, I don't have to say this because it's, it's true, and I'll have a reason to lie. Now, they're selling out for the first time, okay? They're doing big business. Well, WCW catches wind of this. They're, sl- they're, they're dropping down, right? Yeah. So Eric Bischoff flies a private plane. I pick him up at the West Memphis Airport. We go to Cracker Barrel. And we sit there and make the deal at Cracker Barrel. Huh. All right. Yeah. So he says, well, Sid, he goes, we're going to start you out at 1.6. Right, that's exactly what I was making for Vince for four years, right? Okay. So I'm figuring he already knew that. So I'm sitting there. I'm looking at him. Okay, you know this evidently, right? But I didn't say anything. And then he goes, but he said, I mean, 1.6 your first year, Sid. I went, oh, my fucking God, you know, because I'm trying not to uh, show that how happy I am. So I said, well, let me think about it, you know. So I take him back to the airport, drop him off. He actually flew himself in. He's a pilot as well. So um, then they called me the next day. We talked about it on the phone. I said, yeah. So what they did, they brought me into Baltimore. seems like Baltimore is like the life of my story, story of my life. So I come in in total black, black pants, black shirt, black hood and everything. They bring me to a dressing room. They bring Arnie in. <clears throat> they say, Arnie's back. Okay. If y'all need to work out any problems, work them out right now. And um, Arnie took his hand out said, hey, no problem. I took my hand out said, no problem. And we were back to work. Mm. 
And that's exactly how that happened. So do you think when it all comes down to it, the fact that you were always willing to just get up and walk away was pretty much uh, the key to it? Uh, I mean, there's certainly much more to it because of the way you think, but really that you were always willing to go, you know what, I'm out of here. I I think that has a lot to do with it, Sean, because I didn't need, you know, and I don't need anybody today. You know, I'm I'm very self-efficient, but I've just, I'm, they knew that I'm not the type of person that's going to be lied to or bullshitted, uh-huh. you know? And, um, now WCW, you don't have to worry about that there. You just show up, and do your job, uh-huh. you know? And, um, cause, uh, I told, I saw Eric at, um, an autograph signing back in April and I had to thank him so much. Every time I ever see him, I thank him because he, he made my life what it is today. Uh-huh. I'm very, very well off and I'm very, very happy. And uh, I, I couldn't be where I'm at without, uh, without him. Yeah. So you mentioned you, you want to put this down in, uh, in a book. Uh, is that in the, in the right. works or what, what's, where are you at with that? Okay. Let me tell you about the book. This is what yeah. happened. So my aunt dies. I told you that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to write a book about her. And actually, Sean, because she was a Christian, I said, before I could write a book about her, I have to go to church and figure out what this stuff about church is. So now I'm a, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a Christian, but I do go to church. Yeah. That had never been years. a big part of your life before? Never. Uh-huh. Uh, only in childhood with her. When she lived here close to me, uh-huh. I went to church with her. Uh, but after that, never went to church again uh, for my whole life. All right, so... The kid who helped me, we, I met him through a, doing a documentary called uh, The Promotion, where after the movie, The Wrestler came out, I wanted to show people that there was a place where you could wrestle without cussing and still have a, a good time. And me and a kid named Brandon Wallace, he was, he was uh, a youth minister at, at Nettleton Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So I met him. He was just doing some filming for a local promotion in Jonesboro. And so I said, hey, man. I'm trying to do a documentary and I need a real film crew. And he had good equipment that he was using from the church. So he helped me do this. Uh-huh. All right. So I made him. That's how I met him. And we did the promotion. He edited it for me. And we, you know, I, I put it in film festivals and I've got four trophies on my mantle right now, winning first place in documentaries. It was just a 15 minute short. Uh-huh. And, um, I, I've never tried to sell it. I only use it for film festivals. So anyway, I met, that's how I met him. So after my aunt died, I said, Brandon, and Brandon had wrote a book called The Straight Face. And meaning what happened was as he got older, he decided, you know, that he was gay. And, um, he called me one day. It sort of startled me. He said, Sid, uh, I got something to tell you. I think you're going to be mad at me. I'm thinking, oh God, he got in trouble using the church equipment. Now I'm in trouble, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm struggling with my sexuality. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm gay. I said, well, Brandon, I don't care if you're gay. Just don't try to kiss me. And we both laughed. You know, <laughs> right. he really handles this really well. Yeah. So, um, so after my aunt dies, I talked to him. I said, man, I'd like to write a book about, uh, about my aunt and just some of the, not really about wrestling, but just some of, you know, tied in a little bit and, and mm-hmm. then talk about how I became a Christian, you know, or I started going to church yeah. and, uh, so we're writing it, and um, all of a sudden, I, I told my lawyer, was talking about, I was telling him about this book, and he said, man, why don't you really write a book to try to make money with? 
And I went, man, I, you know, I don't know if there's money in books. Uh, you know, I think it's already been overdone at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also were writing a song. I like writing music. So we was going to write a song about my aunt, too. Yeah. So me and Brandon got to knocking around. And I said, man, you want to try to do this to make money? And he goes, yeah, let's try that. Well, Brandon's a good writer for his simple things about right, right, talking about your aunt. But he, he's not a great writer, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's the first to admit that. So we shopped around, and we ran across a guy named Peter Zell, who uh, I can't tell you, I, I can't remember all his credentials, but he's a, he's a graphic novel writer. Mm-hmm. So he sends me this thing, and I'm thinking, hold on, man. Am I really this cool? You know? So we send it to, w- so my lawyer, Scott Kirkpatrick, sends it to uh, Scott Amon, who's the uh, merchandising or something for the WWE. So, um, so well, let me just get, get you hooked up with the book department. So they first say, well, you know, you've been out for so long, you're really not relevant. You know, you're not really a, a big topic anymore. So, but send us the first chapter. Mm-hmm. So I send it to them and they call me back. They go, do you really think you're that good? Mm-hmm. And I said, hold on a minute. It was only like seven pages. Yeah. And it never even mentioned my fucking name, you know? I said, what are you talking about? It talks about a kid playing wiffle ball in the backyard. It doesn't even mention wrestling. Uh-huh. He said, well, well, we just don't know. So they, they direct us to a um, publisher called Acclaim and another one. So after hearing what Acclaim them had to offer, we didn't think it was enough to what we wanted to do. So we decided to do it ourselves. All right. Well, Peter starts writing. And I'm reading, and we get to the first chapter, and he had said something about gopher holes. And he said it forward in a, in a small version, and I didn't really, I thought it was just a writer writing. So I said, um, hey, uh, Peter, I, I'm not being a jerk, but in my life with my grandfather, my grand, great-grandfather was a, was, a, was a cotton farmer and a corn farmer, mm-hmm. and uh, there were gopher holes, and I, I'm... I said, you know, we can use that story. I said, but where'd you come up with that story? He said, well, that was a real important time in my life one time. And he had this story about a man he met, you know, some gentleman. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? We can use that. And I'll tell you how we can tie it in. And I, and I, I just said, you know, I didn't want to uh, insult the guy. I never met him over only talking over the phone. And um, so I said, well, let's do this. Let's tie it in like this. And then I said, but one thing we got to do, I said, you're using Brandon's timeline on a book that we weren't going to, we were going to do for fun. We weren't going to try to make money out of it. Mm-hmm. So I need you to write like you did that first chapter, you know, that the you know, WWE says it was, they thought, Hey, do you think you're that good? I need to see that kind of writing. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't want to see anything about gopher holes. <laughs> so he says to me, yeah. he says, uh, well, Sid, I'm going to take a couple months off. I said, no, Peter, you're just going to take off. You're done. So now I'm looking for a new writer. So that's why, and I told Casey before I did the show with you, that that's really the main reason I did the show, for two reasons. I want to get that point across that I'm looking for a writer, and they can contact me at my home. Uh, My uh, number is public under Sydney Udy in Marion, Arkansas, or you can contact me through Cycle City Promotions. But I'm looking for a writer that wants to do something really cool about somebody who's totally different than anybody else in this business. 
And I think our interviews already suggested that, right, Sean? Absolutely. And is there okay. a website? Or, you know, you mentioned uh, your promotions. Cycle City Promotions is a website. It's not mine. Uh, it's a guy named Eric Widgen, and he's okay. a good friend of mine. We've never met, but we've been talking for the last 12 years, and he's a really cool guy, and he always gets everybody in touch with me. Okay. As a matter of fact, he's the one that got you guys in touch with me. Yeah. All right, so folks, if you know uh, anybody who's uh, any writers out there that uh, you know can help sit out with this project, which right. uh, you seem very passionate about, so uh, you can get in touch with him through that website, uh, through right. the, the company. Um, also, you know, I know that softball is was a big part of uh, your life. Uh, how how did that happen? I just wanted to, to follow up on it because I know right, I'm going I'm to give you the story on softball, Sean, and this is the exact story. When I had my lung surgery, of course, you know, softball, I was playing softball before I ever got into wrestling. And at one time, I think I played for nine or ten different teams. So, like, pro? And, um, I mean, were you, were you that good? Well, we, I played on a team called Worth. Yeah. They were the number one of the best team. They were the best team in Memphis and one of the top teams in the country. And we were sponsored by Worth. And yeah. we were called uh, the Sox. And we, we traveled and played. Now, and this is not bragging or anything, but I could hit home runs left and right-handed. And imagine. it really shocked people to see that. I remember one time a lady in the, during the game when I hit one left and right-handed and I did it left-handed, she goes, is that fair? I said, yes, <laughs> man, it's fair. It's just I'm pretty good at this, you know? As long as it stays so, in the lines. Well, this is what happened. So anyway, yeah. I, I'm an avid softball player. Yeah. So after I had my lung surgery, Sean, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, oh. They had to take out half of my right lung. Okay, so when I go back to go back to work in check in for WCW, uh, actually they sent Terry Funk to look at me and see if I was still alive, and uh, I picked him at the airport and dropped him, made one loop and dropped him off, and he said he's okay, but I wasn't. I, that was the first time I had driven since the surgery. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't, you know, I he, uh, I don't know if they were trying to get rid of me, but they or maybe think I was lying. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, I go back to my first meeting with him. They go, no, you still need to gain some weight. Uh, so go back home for a while. So I go back home. I'm working out twice a day. I'm running twice a day. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And But at the same time, I'm playing softball. Well, I'm guessing what happened. You know, I used to, when we played Lawler, I killed him. You know, I mean, he couldn't literally hit the ball out of the field. Uh, I mean, I don't think he ever hit a home run. I mean, when I played him, I just, I killed him. So I guess he got mad about that and somehow put in the dirt sheet somewhere that Sid's not, um, he's playing softball instead of wrestling. Mm -hmm. Well, I get a call from Ole Anderson and says, what the fuck are you doing? I said, I'm working out like you guys told me to. He said, were you playing softball? I said, yeah, in the evenings. He said, well, the company's real mad at you. So your punishment is when you come back, you're going to do a job for Lex Luger within a minute. I thought, you dumb motherfuckers, y'all paid me a quarter million dollars to sit home for a year. I don't care to do that. <laughs> That's not going to hurt me. And Oli says, and, and to make it easier on you, I'm going to be in the ring with you. I said, you don't even have to be there. You know, I don't care about doing a job. Sean, I got fined for putting people over. For instance, when I was working with, um, um, in those house shows at WCW, if I was main event and they'd come with, and like I was getting ready to work with whoever the chant was. Actually, I was the champ for like 30 seconds one time. Yeah. And uh, they said, um, you know, so they came to the house shows and said, let's go and do a count out of double DQ. 
I said, so I went to my car that night and everybody said, Sid, you suck, man. That was a horrible match. I said, I know it was, you know? So it was Amarillo. The next night in Lubbock, I'm working with Lex. I said, you know what? I'm going to put you over tonight. And uh, I put him over. And when I went to my car, the people said, what a fucking match. They want to see a finish in the main event. Right, Sean? Yeah. 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 All right. So I did that. Well, when Grizzly Smith was the agent, he said, if you keep doing this, Sid, you're going to get fined. That's what either pull me out of the main event and put me a match under the main event, and I'll do a, a count or, or a DQ, but I'm not going to do it in the main event. You know, even then, Sean, I'm business, okay? Yeah. Because I want the people to get what they came for. Now, in reality, I'm going against Steam for the for the championship, and I'm told I'm going to win, which I did for 30 seconds. So I should have been going over in those matches. But I'm not going to suggest that because I don't care. <laughs> so I said, I'll just do the job, you yeah. know? And I never mind. I mean, you know, that's something Harley Davidson, uh, Hibbity Smith, uh, Jim told me this, yeah. French Riviere uh, in the locker room. He said, Sid, you're a big guy. He says, you got to realize this business is a, it's a work. He said, when they tell me we want you to lose tonight, I say, how do you want me to do it? You mean a trip as I'm walking in the ring? He said, if you'll do that, you'll keep a job. Yeah. And I remembered that my whole career. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't care about doing the jobs. I, I'm going to get paid the same. Yeah. Well, Stead, you are uh, absolutely one of a kind, and you you did it your way every step. And uh, it really it has been uh, incredible talking to you. Uh, folks, if you are a legit writer out there who uh, would like to get involved in this project, as uh, Sid mentioned, you get in touch with him through his uh, company, uh, one, one thing that he's associated with, uh, Psycho Sid Promotions. That's right. That's correct, right. Sid? And you, can, and you can always call me in the house. And there's one other thing I want to talk about real quick. Sure. We have a charity. And what we do at my church is called St. Mary's Cathedral. It's the oldest church in Memphis, and it's the poorest church in Memphis. And it's got a long history, and I'll give you a real quick rundown. Years ago, the yellow fever epidemic hit Memphis, and one-third of the population died. One-third moved away. And it actually lost the city ship for a short time. And why it's called St. Mary's, because a nun from New York City named Sister Mary came there, and she actually died in the parking lot treating these people with yellow fever. Well, back in the day, Sean, they didn't realize yellow fever was caused by mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And actually, the mosquitoes were coming from the ditch behind St. Mary's uh, Cathedral. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, we have a, a, our deacon there, his name, Drew Woodward. He just got teeth recently. And um, he's an old man. I used to call him the Holy Hillbilly because I love to hear that lisp that he would do the readings. And Episcopalian churches are, in my opinion, the greatest churches there are. Uh, there, it's also educational, and you learn a lot there. Yeah. So. We do this thing on Saturday mornings where we um, feed the homeless. And in the last 10 years, Drew Woodward is just a welding supply salesman, okay? Yeah. He has given away 150,000 cans of Viennas. And we put two cans of Vienna sausages, a pack of crackers, a bottle of water, and a, a moon pie or oatmeal cake and a bag of raisins. Uh-huh. So we've been doing that. And I want now we also have an a, a, uh, orphanage in Haiti that we sponsor is called St. Vincent's. Mm-hmm. It's got like 90 kids there and they're all last name was St. Vincent because they don't have any, any family. Well, in Haiti years ago, there was an earthquake there and most of those kids are missing an arm or a leg. And what I'm fixing to do, Sean, I'm fixing to have my lawyer, uh, and, uh, Brandon Wallace, who's going to help me do this. We're going to make a proposal and I'm going to send this to WWE. 
and I want them to sponsor, do some type of sponsorship for this orphanage. You know, this is the thing is, Sean, you know this yourself, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw someone under the bus. Uh-huh. You know, Scott Hall, for instance, he's a, a, somewhat of a friend of mine. I've helped him out through his life. Now we know that Vince, the WWE has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on his drug rehabilitation and he's still a bad drug user. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. But this is a chance for the WWE to get aboard of something that if you can give a kid that, you know, in an orphanage that has nothing, this is everlasting, Sean. This isn't going to be where someone gets a drug rehab and goes home and starts drugs again. Mm-hmm. This is, these are kids are going to remember this for the rest of their life because they have nothing. And so I'm going to send this proposal to WWE and I want all the fans that are listening to this, and all the, if you're a true fan, a wrestling fan, that you'll care about this same thing the way I care about it. And I want something, I want some help on this. And I'm going to have my lawyer send this proposal to WWE, but I want the fans to hear this first, because I want them to get it behind it as well. And I think we all should get behind things like this. Can you imagine that, Sean? If somehow you could get a T-shirt or a doll to a kid that has nothing. Yeah what that would mean. Absolutely. And what's, what's the name of the organization or what, how can they identify it? So right, this uh, is the thing is, Sean, I was just trying to get in touch with my deacon before we, we called, but he, he didn't answer and I'm going to have all this. And it's, um, it's under Tennessee something. And I don't want nothing to do with this. I don't want Sid's name attached to it. Now, if they would suggest that I go to Haiti and, and present some stuff to him, I'd be glad to do that because uh, we do missionary work. I think, um, twice a year we go there. The church does to do things. I haven't personally went myself, but my my deacon has. Um, but I, I, I they don't even know I'm asking about this. The church doesn't. This is I want this to be a surprise, you know. Um, but I, I just think that you know there's just 90 kids there that are full time, and I think during the day an extra 80 or 90 get to come there and eat and and, and go to school. But I think that you know the WWE. With uh, one, they, they I know that they're very charitable to things like this, and I think that this would be an easy deal for them to do. And so I'm going to send out a challenge right now. I don't know all the uh, the details to it, but I know I'm going to get it sent to them within a couple of days. I'm going to have my lawyer send it back to them. So I'm just asking anybody listening to the show, you know, contact the WWE and ask them to do this as well. Um, anything that we can do to get this help. Uh, and if anybody wants to donate to what we do on Saturday mornings when we feed the homeless, it's, it's called uh, Saturday morning uh, pot tops where we just give them the Viennas. You can, you know, you can contact St. Mary's Cathedral on Poplar Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee, and you can send donations there under under the name of Drew Woodward or um, St. Mary's. It, and but explain why you would send it. And I'm also going to see if they want to help on that too. Uh, but that's my mission right now, Sean, is, to, is yeah. to get these kids something and to, and, and to feed the homeless. And this is the thing is, I'm out there every Saturday morning doing this. And oh. the thing is, Sean, people aren't homeless, and they don't come and get two cans of Viennas because they want to. They're no. having to, okay? Yeah. So if someone, it costs us, I think on average we feed anywhere from 80 to 120. So a can of Viennas is 50 cents a piece, so that's... Yeah. Um, that's a hundred, uh, $150 that would cost us a week to feed these people. So, you know, if you, if anybody's listening to this, just send the to St. Mary's cathedral, in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, 
and um, or contact me, and I'm going to have some more stuff that you know that we're going to post on uh, Cyclist and Promotions that they can see through this and they can follow up on it. Yeah, well, that's awesome, Sid, and uh, you're busy as ever, man. I, I'll tell you. Well, this the thing is, John. You're giving back. My aunt died, and I started going to church. Not yeah. that I'm a great Christian, because I'm not, but I am a I am a giver, and I love to help. And I think that you know, I hear about these things. I thought about doing one of these um, GoFund thing, but okay. I don't want it to be like that. I want I want somebody to step up big and do this. And and mm-hmm. and WWE has has all the you know um, the um, um, Everything it takes to get this done, and I'm I'm handing out right now a personal challenge to them, or and ask them to you know help as much as they can. But they're going to get a. I'm on, I'm also sending a, a real professional presentation to them in the next couple of days, if not this week, next week. But that's my goal right now, Sean, is to get the homeless fed and get these kids in Haiti some type of something. Uh, and I don't think that's too much to ask. For someone like myself has done as much in the business as I've done. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, there you have it. However, you uh, followed him through his career, Sid Vicious, Sid uh, Psycho, Sid, Sid Justice. He's uh, Sid Beauty, and that is the man who who did it all. And and Sid, thanks so much for coming on. Okay, Sean. Thank you very much. So, folks, what did I tell you? <laughs> Sid did not disappoint uh you know uh, there are a few in this business who tell you exactly what they think and no nobody does it better than Sid Udy. he is uh an unbelievable intense individual there was a point there and i don't know if you caught it but i think when uh, he was going to talk about uh, psycho sid and i laughed and he said you laughing and i swear to god like a chill went down my spine we were you know pr- thousands of miles apart here and yet i just had this feeling that he could probably find me and then really hurt me but, uh, you know, it still turned out to be <laughs> a great conversation uh, with Sid. And, man, he, is, he really is. Uh, like I said, uh, his success really came to him because he honestly did not give a damn. He was ready to walk away at any time. And he said it himself, the business was always just business to him. But in a lot of ways, it worked in his favor. He was willing to tell Vince to stuff it, and he did. And these other people that he worked with that uh, basically, hey, you know, I'm gone. If you don't give me what I want, uh, I'll sit at home. I'll go play softball. And uh, really, uh, it uh, it led to great success to him because he just really, uh, I mean, not that he didn't deliver, but he was in it for one reason, and that was uh, to take care of his family. And he did a damn good job at that. Sid, thank you. Sid, thank you so much for coming on and uh, – being a part of primetime with Sean Mooney. As I mentioned before we got to the conversation, of course, we've got our our uh, super, superstar autograph giveaway that we uh, had last week, and we have our five winners. So if you're ready, I hope you're listening here and you stuck around because Kevin uh, Kimmons, I hope I said that right, Kevin Kimmons, K-I-M-M-O-N-S. Also, Matt Gleason, you are a winner as well. Jimmy Rooney. Uh, Brian Chaplow and Andy Toth. Okay, I'll read them one more time. Kevin Kimmons, Matt Gleason, Jimmy Rooney, Brian Chaplow, and Andy Toth. You are our five winners of the uh, Super Superstar Autograph Giveaway. Now, I want you to do this to get your pictures. Now, DM me through uh, either Twitter, and that's uh, at Primetime Mooney, 
uh, on our Facebook page. You can DM me there, Primetime with Sean Mooney, or email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. I would hope by now you have uh, those uh, addresses memorized, but, uh, but get to me uh, and let me know which autograph you want. Now, here's your choices. You've got uh, Ted DiBiase, uh, Demolition, Axe, and Smash, both of them on that picture. Uh, kind of a unique one, Repo Man. And then, uh, you know, because, well, we can talk about where he, else he might have went then, but this is a picture from Repo Man, the Repo Man. And then uh, Coco Beware, um, got a couple versions of that one. Uh, Jimmy Hart, which, uh, you know, that was, I, I've been trying to get that one for a while, but now I've got uh, Jimmy Hart. Tatanka, who uh, I'd love to get on the show, uh, all these guys, uh, most of them I have already, but uh, anyway, Jimmy Hart, I'm still working on as well. And then the other picture uh, is uh, Mr. X and Danny Davis, okay? One of the same, but two different pictures, Mr. X or Danny Davis, okay? Ted DiBiase, Demolition Axe and Smash, Repo Man, Coco Beware, Jimmy Hart, Tatanka, Mr. X, and Danny Davis. So get in touch with me, you guys. And I will get those pictures out to you and give me an address on where you want them sent. Okay? Awesome. Check out the YouTube channel. Uh, more great material posted there all the time. And remember, I, I post material up there that I don't put up anywhere else. Uh, we put up all the episodes of Primetime with Sean Mooney after they've, after they've been downloaded. You know, they've been up for a while on iTunes or whatever platform you're on. We, we take them over to YouTube and you can listen to them there. But there's a lot of other clips and, uh, for example, I've got uh, one uh, conversation, a short conversation with Marty Gennetti that I'm going to put up there pretty soon. I'm going to figure out uh, what we need to do to uh, make that happen. Uh, maybe, maybe us getting to um, 2,500 subscribers on there. We're getting close. So uh, I'll put that one up there. That was a great conversation. I caught up with Marty Gennetti when he was back there in New England at the uh, New England Fan Fest. And uh, interesting guy, boy, a uh, lot to talk about with him. We'll, we're going to get him on for a full episode, but it's a fun clip to listen to. Uh, so anyway, check those out. Guys, come on, check out the uh, the tease. If you, you don't like what you're seeing there, uh, email me. Let me know what you'd like to see. Uh, we're going to keep putting up some more designs there, but all you need to do is go to moonytees.com, moonytees.com. Check them out. Um, and, of course, follow us. On Twitter, at Instagram, as you should know at this point, at Primetime Mooney. And, of course, email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. Congratulations to all our winners. Hey, guys, uh, if you didn't uh, win this time, I told you I've got still got a lot more pictures. We will have more super, superstar autograph giveaways, and uh, we'll give five more away uh, in, the, in the coming weeks here. Okay? So thanks for listening. We will have another tremendous episode of PTSM on the way next week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. I'm Sean Mooney. The rule of NWE never stops. stops.